Good afternoon, LBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and I am with the Story Podcast. Today, I have on a super awesome guest. But at first, I have some merchandise on sale. We have stickers with the logo, and we have hoodies with the logo on the front. And the first 50 guests on the back include Mr. Joe Segan. Joe Segan has been making music since childhood, growing up as the son of a music educator in Pennsylvania's Wyoming Valley. Uh, now living in Lancaster, he continues to perform as a solo act and also with his band, The Benders, appearing regu- regularly throughout Northeast, Southeast, and Central PA. Waves, his first full-length recording of an all-original material, came out in the in 2018, followed by his five-song EP, Flare, released in April of 2020. Joe released the song Good Times Never Last in April of 2022, which was co-written with his producer and longtime collaborator, Brett Alexander of the Badleys. Joe Segan has also recorded with Joe Tosolt, Tosolt, playing guitar on Tosolt's 2010 solo album, Captain Bob's Guitar, as well as Gone Wrong Songs in 2021, Let's Say You Knew 2013, and Come Back to Me in 2014 with JT and Blue Mountain Stone. You can also hear Joe on the track of Fear of Falling, recorded at the Maltrunk Opera House in Jim, in Jim Thorpe with Brett Alexander and Nick Van Wick, which is also available on their 2017 album Live. Joe graduated from Tulane Law School in New Orleans with a certificate of specialization in environmental law. Joe has been practicing law for 28 years and is currently the director of general law division of the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection. You can find Joe at his website, joesegan.com. That's J-O-E-C-I-G-A-N.com. You can also find him on YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, and all other places. Joe, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So what got you started in music? What, you said your, uh, your dad owned a music sto- store. My dad owned a music store with his late partner, and he was also a music educator. And he taught both high school band, marching band, uh, elementary school students throughout his career. And so I was exposed uh, to quite a bit of music. You know, I would go uh, to all the games and see the, the band march and, and watch rehearsals. And I would go uh, with the high school marching band's class trips to New York City to see shows on Broadway, which for a series of years was Beatlemania every year because everybody was a Beatles fan. And that, that made quite an impression. But yeah, I've always been interested in music. Did you ever join the marching band? Um, this, the high school I attended uh, did not have a marching band. Mm-hmm. We had we had a pep band that played in the stands, and yes, I uh, I joined that band. And also, I would you know, much to the director's uh, frustration, I would come up with some own arrangements, pass them out, and we would <laughs> play <laughs> when we wanted, regardless. Of That's what. awesome. That's <laughs> funny. Uh, what instrument did you play? I played trumpet. Trumpet. Well, you know, I was interested in joining the band because uh, a friend of mine, close friend of mine, was an upperclassman. And uh, I mentioned it to my dad. And I did start on drums. And I thought about drums. And he said, well, what instrument are you interested in? And I said, well, maybe brass. And he had a trumpet around the house. And he gave me uh, a couple lessons on the spot. And I tried out the following day and, you know, got into the band. I mean, the bar was fairly low. Right. But, uh, sure. It, it was a, a lot of fun, and I made some really good friends. 
Yeah, trumpet is one of those instruments. I tried playing a trumpet. Uh, I took brass lab this past year, and oh my gosh, do you have to be particular with your placement? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the embouchure and is you develop your embouchure. Yes. Oh my gosh, I. <laughs> it was uh, I. They first started me on French horn, which is even worse. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, yeah. You really need precision. Yes. To play that instrument. Yes. So tr- from going from French horn to trumpet, I was like, oh, thank God, I can actually. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, my favorite had to be the tuba because you could just do whatever you want and a sound would come out. Yeah, I really fell in love with the tuba when I was living in New Orleans. There yeah. was the uh, Rebirth Brass Band. I was a big fan and still am a big fan. Um, uh, Kermit Ruffins was leading them at the time. He's now a solo artist. I follow him there too. But I'd try to get to the Maple Leaf every Tuesday when I was living down there for, for the Rebirth. But that was in the early 90s. That was quite some time ago. Yeah. So uh, so you started out, your first instrument was drums, you said. I started out on drums um, I, in my dad's music store. My father always supported my interests in music, and I took lessons from a, from a wonderful, wonderful person, Jimmy Musto. He played in a very popular country band in northeast Pennsylvania called Abilene, and he was, a, he was an excellent teacher, and I, at the time, I was a, an awful student, and I... <laughs> And, and unfortunately put him through his paces. Uh, but I did reform <laughs> when I hit my teen years and was uh, uh, very interested in uh, learning and, and getting better. So were your lessons just of uh, your dad made me, made me do it or was... Oh, well, my, my dad never really encouraged me um, to pursue music. Um, and, and, and he was... Uh, there was a time when I was interested in pursuing a career in music and, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he discouraged that just, and I think it had a lot to do with, um, working in the music store. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think he really liked to have the music store cause it was an opportunity for him to socialize with folks. My dad's a very social person, loves conversation, loves people. And, um, uh, a lot of the teachers and he, 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 he he did some wonderful things for his teachers. He, yeah, I mean, he they, they, it was a nice nice community there. But also, you know, he saw folks that you know couldn't afford to have health insurance mm. and the problems associated with that, and the you know the the anxiety associated with a a job that's dependent upon gigs. Yes, and we know that you know those are you know accidents happen. People get double booked. Um, weather changes. Uh, you know, so, uh, and when you're relying on, on that income to support a family, it's difficult. So, um, he, he, not only did my father, you know, and my mom support my interest in music and provide instruments and provide lessons. They also encouraged me to, uh, pursue my education too. And so, uh, how long did you stay with music or did you always stay with music into your collegiate career? Well, you know, um, in high school, there was a period where I questioned whether the amount of time and amount of effort I was putting into music uh, was worth it. And maybe I would get more value or bang for my buck if I directed my attention elsewhere. So there was about a year and a half that I stopped playing music and not having, I still had music in my life listening to it because I've been a music enthusiast all my life and I love to go to concerts and I love to you know, support my friends who play. Um, but, uh, you know, not having, not developing the craft 
not having it in my life made me recognize how valuable it was. Mm. And that that assumption that I was not getting, uh, that assumption that it wasn't worth it turned out to be wrong. And, uh, you know, I went back to it with renewed vigor and uh, found, uh, had some guidance from some wonderful teachers, uh, very different teachers, you know, who sort of developed their own uh, teaching style and philosophy associated with it. Um, so, and I, and I like the, you know, it's, it's meditative, very much so. you know, because you push other aspects of the, the, the world sort of away from you and you concentrate on one thing and it allows you to sort of center yourself and, you know, calm yourself down and get in touch with, um, uh, your feelings considering yeah. music conveys feeling and emotion. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the use of escapism through music is incredible and very much valuable because uh, there's so much things that goes on in one's day, whether it be the the, the small inconvenience to the big earth-shattering uh, stuff that can happen. Yes, uh, Music is one, one of the most unique ways to filter through that, to escape through that, and to uh, reconcile yourself with these events or even just get away from it for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, music and movies, at least. And it's also an opportunity for expression. For expression, to convey exactly. To convey ideas and convey feelings. I mean, the one thing, you know, when I was a kid, I thought magic was really cool. <laughs> and I loved sci-fi. And I loved fantasy and those magical aspects. And as I grew, I, you know, there, there was the, the day I realized that, well, magic isn't really real. But the more I studied music and the more I played music, I recognize that magic actually is real. And music is, in, in my experience, the, uh, a, a very magical thing because like, I could explain to you how I'm feeling, but you won't Understand. know how I'm feeling. Exactly. But if I'm conveying an emotion through music, I think you will have a much better understanding of what my, and, and the idea of sound Mm -hmm. um, conveying emotion so effectively and in, in especially live music and improvisational music where you're there watching an artist walk down the path and they either reach a moment of enlightenment or they come upon a beautiful escape a, a mistake and you see the joy in the artist and you experience that simultaneously with the artist I think there's no other artistic medium that has that level right. of magic and allowing because like the written word you climb into the mind of the author mm -hmm. and like a painting is a static thing. I mean, it hangs in a room and it can't affect how, you know, people feel even if they're not act act actively engaging with the work, but really music is the one that you you're there at that moment right. in time and you share it with the artist. And the music gives context to the word. That's True. that really convey, helps you convey the emotion. Right. Uh, I th I think you're right. Move uh, it's movies and music that are the two things that really can encapsulate you. Uh, there are some artists that are really good at doing that, but I w I might argue that for the most part, art is something you look at, and uh, you can you can understand, but it, it's the feeling that they're feeling isn't well portrayed. I would agree with you there. Right. Yeah. Um. So you. So what did you do after that year of hiatus from music? Um, well, during that period, I started studying martial arts. And uh, I continued doing it 
when I re-engaged with music too. And I, I and after you know I, I I lived in New Orleans for a period of time when I was going to law school. Even after I graduated from law school and started uh, practicing law, um, I found my old teacher. And you know how important a good teacher is. Oh, absolutely. Um, and uh, began studying with him again. I stopped when uh, when I had my first child, just because of uh, you know priorities and time demands. That was one that uh, sort of fell by the wayside. So, did you um, after high school, you you didn't decide to go into music. You decided to go into law. What? Well, I always played music. I mean, right. I, play, I was playing. I've been playing in bands before I went to law school. I mean, I, I did. I pursued. I mean, it's somewhat interesting because I did want to be an environmental lawyer. Um, I remember, uh, you know, I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania between Wilkesbury and Scranton, and both my grandfathers were coal miners. And you know, listening to their stories as to how um, they were exploited and how difficult their life was in spending most of their time in the mines. And I, you know, I remember as a child um, the impacts from having black lung and that, you know, my grandfather just walking across, my grandfather on my mother's side just walking across the room was, was, was a big effort for him. And I was very disappointed about that, you know, that their lives were shortened, um, you know, uh, because of the work that they did. And also, you know, I was very upset about um, the impacts from mining in right. northeastern Pennsylvania. My, my neighbor uh, at the time, I and mean, we grew up together, he's also a, a guitar enthusiast, Nick Darbenzio, um, part of his yard subsided into the mines. And in, 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 oh, wow. in my own yard, there was an uh, acid mine seep. I mean, at the time, I didn't know what it was. We called it the Orange, the orange Creek, the Orange oh, Creek, but no. in Northeast PA. But actually, it was uh, acid mine drainage. And, you know, like, uh, as I learned more about, I mean, I am a conservationist at, at heart. As I learned more about the impacts from mining, all the streams that I would drive by, there was an ice cream place um, close to my house that had a stream adjacent to it, and it was crystal clear. And I thought, oh, that's a, that's a really beautiful stream. But actually, it wasn't a beautiful stream. It was impacted by acid mine drainage, and nothing could live in it. Right. That's why it was crystal clear. Right. And, um, you know, when I was in seventh grade, uh, my uh, science teacher stopped class to talk about a local event. There was a gentleman, um, Scofflaw, who owned a gas station that had a borehole. Um, the town I grew up in... A borehole? A borehole. Well, the town I grew up in um, didn't have sewers. Um, everybody had a borehole. And a borehole is, was, a, was, a, was a hole drilled down to the mines. And pretty much everyone's sewage oh. went down into the mines. And this gentleman, who also had a borehole, he let anyone who wanted to dump whatever down their borehole. So people were coming off of I-81, which went right by his gas station in, in Pittston Township. And for a couple bucks, they would dump uh, you know, all kinds of uh, toxic substances and contaminated the mine pool. And it would express itself into the Susquehanna. And still, this went on in the 70s. And that the, the, it, it expresses itself through the Butler Mine Tunnel. And that's still a Superfund site that's still regulated. I mean, this is something that I was made aware of when I'm in seventh grade. And, the, and when the mine pool, when groundwater ra raises and the mine pool raises, it still discharges um, uh, contaminants. And at the time, you know, I was, I, I, I thought it was 
very disappointing. And also, too, in the area I grew up in, there were a lot of um, calm piles, sort of coal waste piles just piled up. Most of them are gone now because uh, through cogeneration, um, they were able to burn it and make electricity. Okay. But for the, the majority of my formative years, they were eyesores. And, you know, I was very disappointed that, you know, um, coal companies uh, enjoyed incredible profits on the backs of people like my grandfather and, you know, didn't deal with the impacts uh, from deep coal mining. And, and there were impacts that, you know, I experienced. And, uh, you know, I started to learn about the environmental movement, which really didn't get any traction into the 1970s until after I was born. You know, mm -hmm. I am older than the environmental movement and uh i thought you were gonna say you were older than the epa or the epa i am EPA. older than the epa because oh, yeah? that's what nixon signed the, he created the epa that's, oh that's right mm -hmm. so yes i was born in 1969 i'm at the tail end of that i'm a 60s child oh wow so uh yeah and uh so uh i i wanted to get involved in the field and I, was, I pursued Tulane because of its reputation, and I was lucky enough to work with the Environmental Law Clinic when I was at Tulane, and I got to represent, as a student, Audubon Society and Sierra Club and some private re residents uh, around New Orleans and you know, help prepare briefs and, and, and follow matters. It was, it was a very exciting time. Well, I'm sure in New Orleans because the city is sinking. Right. So, well, yeah. and that was fascinating, too. Well, because you know, where, where I lived, when it rained, I mean, they would actively pump uh, stormwater because it would flood the streets. Right. And when the pumps got overwhelmed, the streets flooded. And, you know, I lived on a camp street for a number of years. And uh, when it would rain, camp street would flood. And, it would, and, and sometimes, I, I mean, I felt horrible sometimes for my neighbors. I didn't have a car when I was down there. I had a bike and I rode the streetcar. <laughs> that was how I got around town. Um, but some of my neighbors, when the water would get above the, you know, the floorboards, I mean, oh, their cars would get flooded, and it was it was just so sad of them trying to you know get the the funk out of their vehicles and the mold and everything that would follow in the wake of a a, a, a flooding event. But yeah, yeah, and well, when I was down there, uh, Tulane had a wonderful environmental law program. We went out into the salt marshes. Uh, Tulane had a wonderful facility there that was monitoring how um, oil and gas development were uh, accelerating erosion. Um, in Louisiana, how it was losing so much uh, uh, coastland because oh, wow. you know the marshes it was sort of po pocked and right, like pockets, the, 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 yeah. the, the, the 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 brackish water wouldn't be able to infiltrate quickly. Right. But when the gas developers would try to get to a location, they would cut through it and facilitate mm -hmm. you know intrusion right. of yeah. salt water, which would affect the biology and also accelerate erosion. So that was, uh, you know, it, it was interesting. Uh, it was an interesting time. I mean, I'm glad I went, came back to Pennsylvania because really, you know, I was raised here and I'm, I'm most concerned about the environment here. Um, uh, but, uh, you know. It's, it's interesting. Because um, up in, I'm pretty sure it's up in that area that there's a coal mine that's still burning to this day. Yeah, there's several several mine fires. I know my office. Uh, you know, we we were involved in the contracting to extinguish the the Dolph mine fire in in Lackawanna County, and there's Centralia, which yeah, that, was the famous the one. one. Yeah, the yes, one, yeah. and that was where you know everybody was bought out, and it was deemed as the most appropriate means of uh, addressing the situation, as to making sure people were safe, and uh, you know. 
So yeah, it, I mean, it's it, it it is fascinating. Yeah, it's um in at that correct me if I'm wrong, but at that time, couldn't corporations like literally own townships, or is that way earlier than than what I'm thinking? Um, I'm not sure. Okay. I I mean, you know, I I guess they could theoretically well, own I, as much land as they want. I know that's a that's illegal at this point. Um, but it, it used to be that back in the day that they would they would corporations would literally set up townships that they would create housing for their employees and then whenever yes. they moved moved out they were just they you know they were forced to leave and forced to remove well, themselves from interestingly the enough uh my grandparents on my mother's side they actually lived in a company house mm. it was built by the company and it was at uh, least two employees my, my grandfather who was a carpenter acquired it and uh maintained it over the years um, it no longer exists, but, uh, you know, it was a, it, it, and, you know, it, 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 but he was a carpenter. They, when I knew it, it was substantially changed, uh, but it was, uh, I was, I was told that it was a company house originally. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild to me that a, a company could at one point own so much of you that they would even own your house. Yeah. <laughs> um, so music, right? Yes. Uh, you've always done when did you go to Tulane? Was it right after high school? or? Uh, well, I, I went to undergrad at Lafayette College in okay. Easton. And um, uh, I mean, I first started playing music when I was around nine. And uh, I, was, I joined my first band when I was 14, mm. uh, when I was a freshman in high school. One of uh, a, a gentleman who was also in my homeroom class realized I was a player and asked me to join his band. His name's Joe Tolsolt. And uh, Joe and I ended up going to Lafayette and rushing the same fraternity, and we played in bands. The first of our freshman year, we both played in separate bands, um, but for our sophomore, junior, and senior years, we were playing uh, together. And uh, that, was a, that was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, when I went, to, I went to law school in 1991, I moved down to New Orleans, and I sort of put the guitar, I still played guitar for fun and, you know, mm-hmm. got together with buddies and, you know, played some songs. Um, and my, my third year, you know, uh, uh, a gentleman approached me who was in my class and asked if I wanted to play some gigs with him. And he was a wonderful drummer and he happened to be the, the, the dean of the law school's son. Uh, and I thought, well, if he could, he could go out and play, I, maybe I could do that too. And, and, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, playing with some some really good friends, very talented people. So when you first started your band, were you on guitar primarily? Yes, yes. What was it like to did did you guys go out and do gigs or or was it just like private events? We did we did gigs. Um of course we couldn't play in bars because uh, we were high schoolers, um but we would do a lot of school dances, not only our own schools, but other schools would hire us. Um Really? Yeah, um I remember, yeah, we did a we did a a bunch of uh played a bunch of different school dances how was that received by your peers oh great really oh they were thrilled um there were there were two uh we had i mean we were practicing and learning musicians at the time of course but uh we had two female singers that were older than us and they had incredible voices and they both covered they're very different. Like one was would cover all the Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac, sort of mm. in the pocket stuff. The other one would be the, you know, the over the top gospel. You know, could really well. And they were, uh, they were older than us, and they could drive. And I <laughs> and it was the coolest thing ever because I would have these 
two women come to my house and pick me up to take me to band practice. And it was, you know, that really uh, was sort of an ego boost. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so uh, Lafayette, you, or when was the first point that you decided to write songs? Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, about a little bit more, maybe a decade ago or so, uh, I started going out to open mics and playing. Well, you know, after I graduated from law school and moved back to the Northeast, um, one of my dad's guitar instructors was relocating, and he was looking for somebody to take over his student base, and he asked me if I would do it. And I always loved working with kids. I worked at the Pittston YMCA when I was an adolescent. I worked at the summer camp. I worked the Saturday morning programs. I lifeguarded. I taught swimming lessons um, and, and liked working with children. Um, so, you know, I assumed uh, those students and taught at my dad's music store for, I think, close to 20 years. I didn't have a, a many, um, just a couple. And I tried to, you know, sort of tailor uh, the, the lessons to the students, um, which was very time consuming oh, to sure. try to come up with original lessons. And I had just like stacks. And sometimes I could use lessons with more than one student, but I tried to, you know, tailor the instruction to the students. But then, you know, after so many years, I wanted to focus back on performing. I had a band that, like, we'd play a bar, like, once a month. But I wanted to focus more on, 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 on performing. So I started going out to open mics. And that's where I met uh, uh, Eddie Apnell, who was in a band that I followed when I was younger and first able to go to bars. And Brett Alexander, I was a fan of the Badleys and, um, uh, when I first turned 21, and I used to follow them. And um, they were very supportive and they, uh, you know, encouraged me. And I was at one of their open mics and Brett said, hey, you know, I just got hired to uh, engineer at a, a, a studio that's reconstituting. I have a bunch of time. I need to go in and shake things down. Do you want to go in and write a song? Hmm. And I said, yeah, I do. And then I went over and sat in the corner and thought about it. I went back and said, Brett, you know, I don't really write songs. He said, Oh, don't worry about it. We'll write a song. We'll have a good time. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And um, and then I went home, and that was like a Wednesday evening, and the session was Monday. And I started going through my notes, and I found lyrics and songs, like all these songs that I've, I, I've written, but never really sort of performed. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I think I was sort of wrong that I didn't write songs before. But for that session... You know, um, just because I did not want to show up unprepared and I did not want to come across as somebody who was not ready for the task. I wrote three songs mm. in anticipation and I played them for Brett and we recorded one during the uh, at the session. It was fascinating because I asked Brett to sing it at the time. And, you know, I wrote this song and, you know, did a demo of it at home and it was sort of a tongue in cheek uh Tom Waits sort of Randy Newman type of tune and Brett interpreted interpreted it with uh, a lot of gravitas and a lot of like oh, yeah? deep feeling and it, and it was sort of fascinating to see you know the t a tune sort of presented in a different way and I thought that uh, made a lot of sense so you know I've been working with Brett since we did a an album I did an album in his studio. Part of it was recorded in uh, Paul Smith's studio eight days a week in Northumberland. Paul played bass for the Badleys, and Brett ran those sessions. Paul engineered the sessions. And uh, beautiful studio. I'd recommend it to anyone. It's an old 70s-style studio. Paul has a wonderful collection of 
instruments. He has got, you know, the B3 with the, uh, you know, with the Leslie speaker. And uh, he really knows what he's doing because I could, uh, you know, give him examples of what I was looking for and he could, he, he, he could replicate it. So we did a, did a full album, um, most, mostly with the guys from my band in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, from then I've been doing, you know, I did a EP after that. I wanted to do something live all acoustic, um, no overdubs, you know, to, to try to capture that energy and the, you know, sort of mixing you get, the mm-hmm. call and response with a, you know, a simultaneous performance. And I was pretty happy with that. And coming out of the pandemic now, uh, I wrote a song with Brett that we recorded and published in April and uh, very happy with that tune called good times never last and a couple weeks ago we got together for a writing session and wrote a new song called ghost light and uh, we're in the process of getting ready to publish that one uh very excited for it yesterday um uh, the cover art was delivered um there was a an artist from west uh, uh reading that i met uh at a high school friend's christmas party who we reconnected when i moved to lancaster and, uh, you know, I was very impressed with her work. I really like it. It really speaks to me. So I reached out to her and asked if she would do cover art. And uh, it, it turned out great. Um, so, you know, I brought her a concept for this new song um, that, you know, connects to the content of the song. And uh, she turned it around really quickly. You know, I'd encourage all my music friends, if, you're, if you need graphic art design, I, p- please give uh, Bernadette Emerson, uh, 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 consider her work or consider her, uh, hiring her skills because, I mean, she d- does really great work and she's uh, uh, very receptive to back and forth. You know, we, we, we have, uh, you know, uh, j- just, just to make sure that... Uh, uh, you know, I like to give her sort of wide discretion to to express herself because I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm asking her to do the work because right. I like her work. I exactly. don't want her to do something that's not an expression of hers. Um, but uh, you know, it's it, it's been a good partnership, and I hope I I, I I hope she continues to work with me. That's great. So, when did you start? Uh, when did you form your first band? Why did you do it? How did you do it? Well, I was asked by Joe Tolsalt to join his band, mm. and uh, I'd never been in a rock and roll outfit before, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Joe's brother, uh, Bob, was also in the band as a drummer, and you know I knew Bob very well. He was a very good friend. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just, actually, it was curiosity and learning how to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joe is an, he played guitar in that band, but he's an excellent keyboard player. But we had another keyboard player. But we, he would play keys like we used to do a lot of doors. And he had the Ray Manzarek finger bass down. And we used to do Riders on the Storm and L.A. Woman and all the heavy, heavily orchestrated tunes. And that sort of served us well because um, when we played in jam bands in college, we already had a repertoire to uh, pull from. It was a little bit different than what other people were doing. We were able to mix those songs in with, uh, with other tunes, and it, was, uh, it, it worked out pretty well. So um, going out of uh, – you, you went to law school in Tulane, New Orleans. Uh, did you, what was the music there like at that time? Well, uh, funk was king. 
Yeah. Um, you know, the meters had reconstituted, um, and that was, of course, you know, Art Neville, Papa Funk from the Neville Brothers, George Porter Jr., who's still very active, and I'd recommend anyway, he's one of my, I guess he is my favorite bass player. <laughs> um, Leo Nocentelli was in the band still, uh, and uh, Russell Batiste, uh, their original drummer, uh, Zigaboo Joseph, modelist, uh, was uh, not interested in the in the scheduling. I did see a couple of reunion show, shows with with Zig that were really wild. And while I was down there, uh, Leo left the Meters and moved to L.A. to do session work. And they they picked up Brian Stoltz, who was originally played with the Neville Brothers. And I'm a really big fan of uh, of uh, of Brian's playing. He's a really excellent player. But you know, I follow I followed the Neville Brothers. I mean, the Meters were my number one. If they were playing in town, I would make every effort to get there to see uh, them. Um, and also, too, I lived within walking distance of uh, Tipitina's, which was my favorite music club, so I'd see a lot of uh, music there. And plus there were some, you know, regular things. Like, you know, I mentioned the Rebirth Brass Band would play Tuesday nights at the Maple Leaf. And that was, a, you know, a traditional ba- brass band, no amplification, very uh, loose and fun you know, that have one person sort of directing, calling out transitions to parts, you know, identifying who the soloists were. So it was very organic and very exciting. Um, and also, too, I was a really big fan of John Mooney. Uh, he's a blues guitar player. Uh, he uh, He's sort of a the progeny of uh, Sunhouse, and he toured with Sun in his later years. And, you know, as Sunhouse would, uh, Sunhouse was a very religious man, and he would do, uh, you know, a cappella uh, sort of gospel stuff. Uh, John Mooney would do that, and he would be uh, he played a bar uh, on Carrollton Avenue on Sundays, and he'd surround himself with a couple guitars tuned different ways, and he'd play every style of blues, just Piedmont and uh, country and uh, Delta and you know Chicago. It was it was it was really wonderful because uh, he was a master, and and it was just him, and it was uh, very very real. So, yeah, I really liked, uh, and of course, Jazz Fest, which I really didn't get to experience until after I graduated because finals uh, oh, I, landed yeah. and, and, and law school is very expensive. Yeah. And your grade relies on just one test, that one final test. There's no oh, like, really? yeah, it's three, your whole grade rel- at Tulane it was, it was one three hour test. What? That's yeah. Wild. And it was an open book test too, because you know, because it was that hard. Because if you didn't know the material, well, you know, it's legal analysis. Oh, so right, right. you know, it's you're apply, you're applying a logical framework to a given to a, scenario. Gotcha. Yes. So um, it's a thought process that. So so really, having the books is necessary, right? Well, not really going to help you. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, fair enough. Yeah, it's not true. like you're yeah. memorizing facts. You know, they're, gotcha. they're presenting something and they're saying, well. You know, how would you advise or how would you deal with the situation or is this person culpable or is this is this like an enforceable contract that 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 type that type of stuff and how would you approach it and what would be the alternatives so you know but I did go back with a group of friends in 96 and we did the whole jazz fest experience and had a hell of a time got to see Fats Domino and uh you know a lot of old classic players and Snooks Seaglin well I've seen Snooks Snooks was actually the first artist I saw perform live in New Orleans because I moved down there and I was really involved in orientation and getting situated in in law school and I had no family, no friends. I I moved there cold. I had no connections to the city or the school whatsoever. Um, And uh, one of the 
uh, sort of orientation people to help you figure out what's what and make you feel comfortable was a music fan that went to Tulane undergrad and was also in the law school. And I, I met him, I ran into him at a, at a, at a mixer and they were called bar reviews. Um, and, and it was because they were held in bars and they were financed by the school's social society and they would pay for all the alcohol and, you know, the law students would get together and, and, and mingle. And this, uh, this person that I met who knew I was a music enthusiast said, Hey, you want to go to Tipitina's after that? Or he said, you want to go to tips after this? And I'm mm-hmm. like, what's tips? Tipitina's. And I'm like, what's Tipitina's? He's like, it's a music club. You'll have a good time. And it was that night to see Snook Zieglin. And uh, George Porter was in his band. And it was, uh, it was rather remarkable. It was eye-opening. Because I knew New Orleans was a music town. But I didn't really understand what that was what that meant and uh you know and 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 and, and learning about tipitine as being the professor long hair memorial and 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 learning about all the the professors and doctors like dr john and uh and and how that whole oral tradition um developed and was celebrated did you ever get to see paul mccartney Uh, yeah i've seen Paul, paul mccartney twice i saw him in 2002 and I think it was either 2015, 16, I, I, I got to take my kids okay. to see him in Hershey. And I'm a big Beatles fan. I'm a big Paul fan. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I was wondering, because he had just had a concert recently in, in Baltimore. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. That's good to see Paul McCartney. I'm, I'm going to kick myself if he doesn't ever tour again. <laughs> well, he's promising to come back. And I would, re- I would recommend it because the band he's playing with now, he's been playing with the same players for over two decades. This is his oldest band and oh, most wow. seasoned band. And they're excellent players. And they know the material. And they're multi-instrumentalists so they could switch off instruments because Paul switches between bass, guitar, keys, mandolin, ukulele throughout wow. the show. So they all cover their own ground so i i would certainly encourage you to to see him because he puts on a hell of a show (laughs) for sure so when you moved back to or what what made you said you wanted to come back here because you cared about this area more well per se well you know um i would have been happy to go anywhere for the work um but when i was uh working for the law clinic i approached the director and said hey you know um engaged in the job search. I mean, do you have any suggestions for things that I should consider? And he said, you know, you're from Pennsylvania. I would recommend that you look into the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection. Um, We've had a number of uh, students, you know, get jobs there. And uh, they've told us some very positive things about Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania has been sort of ahead of the curve on environmental regulation compared to other states. So, um, you know, uh, I I, I pursued a a job with DEP and, uh, you know, uh, I got asked to interview while I was still living in New Orleans. And uh, my interview was scheduled the day after I had tickets to see Pink Floyd in the Superdome. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, you know, I had this, oh, should I, because I had to get up. At like right. five o'clock in the morning and get on a plane, go up to Wilkes-Barre yeah. and, 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 and fly into the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Airport and do the interviews. And I interviewed in the Wilkes-Barre Regional Office and I drove down to Harrisburg and I interviewed with Central Office and I drove back to Wilkes-Barre and took a plane back the same day. So it was like, should I go the 
the concert, and I thought, well, you know, it's Pink Floyd. I should Pink go to the Floyd, concert. Yeah, right, and, exactly. And it was magnificent, and I ended up staying out way later than I should have. But I slept on the plane, and I got the job. So all's, all's, <laughs> all's well, it ends well. <laughs> That's funny. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting because, like, I, a lot of my friends were Pink Floyd fans, and, you know, after I saw the show, I, I called them, and I said, they're coming to Philly. You should... You should see them in Philly. And they're like, well, Roger Waters isn't with them. I don't think so. I'm like, trust me. And they went for the first show Friday. And then one of, one of, one of my buddies called me and said, hey, you want to come down Saturday? He went to both shows in a row. And we, we ended up getting uh, some obstructed view tickets and were able to get into the house, which was, which was more than enough. Right. We were delighted. Yeah. Uh, that, that, Pink Floyd is Pink Floyd. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And to see them play live in that, that level of, I mean that that music is is it, it comes across well in the stadium. Not all music will fit mm. that venue, uh, but Pink Floyd definitely does. So uh, when you moved back here and you start, you said uh, you moved back here like five years ago. Well, I moved oh, yeah. I moved to northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, back to uh, where I was raised uh, in the Scranton Wilkesbury area, a little borough called Dupont. Um, in 1994, and then I worked in the in the Northeast Regional Office for DEP in Wilkesbury for you know approximately 23 years. Oh wow! And um, as a you know litigation attorney, uh, defense enforcement, um, program development uh, type of stuff, and it was it was a wonderful experience. I worked with some. Very talented people, learned a lot, um, you know, did some really good work um, that, I'm, that I'm very proud of. Um, but then I, I, I was lucky enough to get the directorship of the General Law Division in Harrisburg, and uh, my boss at the time recommended that I look at Lancaster for, uh, you know, uh, settling down, moving my family. And that was some really good advice because we really enjoy uh, living here. In fact, I actually like living here better than when I was living in New Orleans, to tell you the truth. Oh, wow, yeah. Well, I, well I'd imagine so. Here, the streets don't flood every time. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, well, yeah, but there, you get the tornado watches and whatnot. There, there, yeah, there, 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 there are pros, pros and cons, cons. but uh, we're, we're very happy here. And, and it's a very robust music community, yes. obviously. And uh, that's one thing I enjoy. And, and one thing that sort of surprised me, I mean, guitar players I found are, are competitive by uh, you know, the nature. nature. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you ever hear the joke of how many guitar players does it take to uh, screw in a light bulb? I've never heard that one. Six. One to screw it in, five to stand around watching, going like, hey, I could do it better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, gotcha. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, it, 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 I found in some of the other areas I lived, like guitar players who are mining the same vein and playing in the same style and competing for the same audience and competing for the same gigs. Um, there's not a lot of camaraderie, let's Mm -hmm. say, but I found that to be shockingly different here. Like I, like the guitar players that I've met that, you know, we share common music interests have become some of my closest friends and collaborators and, and supporters. And, and, uh, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, it's, it's meant a lot to me, you know, in developing those friendships and, you know, enjoying the music we play together you know i mean that's what it's all about yeah and it i i keep hearing this repeatedly 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 that lancaster is an arts focused uh city whether whether it be um theater 
uh, or gigging. But it's very much the community around here. If if you take anything away from Lancaster City, is that musicians love each other. There's mm. very little, uh, very little tension, very little uh, com- com- competition. That's the word uh, around Lancaster in regards to musicians. It's it's really it's really uplifting. If if anything, you're gonna if someone comes up to you, they're gonna be like, "Good job." Or they may, they may even give some pointers or network you with other people in order to get more involved. It's something that is rarely, if ever, seen elsewhere. That's consistent with my experience. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious, uh, being a, a law practitioner, and you, you also do music. Is that conflict at all? Um. Well. Uh... I mean, it's it's amount of prioritization and scheduling right. and, and 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 whatnot. But uh, you know, obviously, uh, when things are busy with my job, that that takes a priority. And you know, right. I I uh, I mean, it, it it's a gig like any other gig. I mean, I know a lot of musicians with day jobs, and that's my day job. But I I mean, I love being a public servant. Um, I love I love my work, and I love the people I work with. So um, I'm very fortunate in that regard. That's good. Um, so what was it like to uh, come here kind of, I guess you ca- came here kind of cold a little bit? Yes. Um, it was interesting moving into the community here. Um, but and, and actually, pretty much, I think I met all my friends through music. Hmm. Um, you know, when I first moved down here, I started going out to open mics. And the first one I went to was at Boobies in Mount Joy. It's with B-U-B- Yes. Yes. <laughs> and the pronunciations on the shirt, just yes. to, right. And and Bjorn was hosting an open mic at Thursday night at the time, and uh, uh, he, as you well know, he hosts a wonderful open mic. He's you know that's not not not, not something everyone could do, making everyone feel welcome and right. sort of guiding the ship because you can't really control it. But he's exceedingly effective at that, um, and he would would play on occasion up in northeastern Pennsylvania at a bar I was familiar with called The Rattler, which had a great music scene um, at that time. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it just went forward from there. So really, I think I made the vast majority of my friends, I can't really think others, through music. Yeah. And that just goes to show how open the scene is around here. Cause Agreed. You you can you can, it's way I've met uh, some people in different towns where uh, cities that people are just enemies of each other because they're in the same same similar vein of right. music, and it's like that's not not the case here. Folk bands are, will literally collaborate with each other yeah. uh, for the same audience, and it's it's not a competition to get gigs because there's. Every everyone is uh, filling in for each other, or they're asking, "Hey, I can't make this date. Can you do that date as well?" It's and it's so much more camaraderie and more uh, uplifting of each other than it is downing each other, like yeah. it is in other places. Um, even there is still the professionalism of, about it, but behind it, everyone's friends. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, as a music enthusiast. I like living here because I still have access to metropolitan areas oh, and the big stage and still there's, you know, there are uh, stadium shows at Hershey Park. There are uh, larger arena venues. 
Um, there are theaters, there are clubs. Um, you get, and, and there, there's the bar scene. So um, you get the whole spectrum of uh, touring musicians. And not only that, but Philadelphia is only an hour away. New York yeah. City is like three hours away. Baltimore, D.C. is two hours. Uh, Pittsburgh might be a, the biggest trek, which is four hours or so. Right. But it's all, it's all so you get a lot of musicians that uh, maybe they perform there, but they're coming here, coming towards uh, Pittsburgh or going towards D.C. So Lancaster is a spot where a lot of uh, musicians will just pop through for a night or so. True. And, you know, I take the train into the city to see shows. Um, that's not, not uncommon. One thing I wanted to do is go to Ardmore. I talked to other folks who've done that, who've taken the train into Ardmore, uh, the Ardmore Music Hall, hmm. which has a lot of great music. Um, uh, but, but yeah, yeah, the rail access has been a, 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 a big bonus. <laughs> so uh, what is it like to, you're kind of a solo act now? Well, you know, um, it's uh, sort of hard to say. I'm sort of doing my own thing. I mean, I, I was always a guitar player. I was not the singer in most of the bands I was in. But I realized that um, if I wanted to get out and if I wanted to record my own music, I, I was going to need to develop my voice. Mm -hmm. So um, generally, you know, I play, it depends, I play with as many people I could afford. Mm -hmm. You know, if I could afford to hire musicians to play with me, I do, just because it, it makes it more interesting. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, if I could do it as a, a gig as a duo, I'll do it as a duo. And there are a number of fellas, wonderful players that I play with, uh, I do duos with, or a trio. And I have my band back home, um, uh, the Benders. Uh, we've been playing together, two of the gentlemen who are in the band, we've been playing together for, oh, geez, almost 30 years. Um, and, uh, and we also picked up our, our, our drummer had passed away. Mm. Uh, uh, so we changed the name. We used to be the Hellbenders. It was sort of an environmental thing. You know what a Hellbender is? I do not. It's sort of like a salamander, uh, a large salamander. Not a very pretty uh, creature. It had sort of like a flathead, but they're they're intolerant to toxins and poor water quality. Oh. And and they're native to the uh, upper reaches of the Susquehanna. And they were and they were starting to come back because of um, regulation of what you could discharge to surface waters. And they were sort of a, uh, an indicator of a return like health. Of, of health. Yeah. And uh, we thought that was sort of a good uh, um, symbol for the, for the band. Um, but when our, our, our drummer, uh, Charlie Alimo, passed away, he was one of the originals. It, it just didn't, didn't, feel, didn't right. feel right. Yeah. Uh, and and, and our, 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 our main primary vocalist and guitar player, Dave Kramilski, when they passed away, it just didn't feel right calling it the Hellbenders anymore, just because it couldn't be without them. Right. So we thought the Benders, you'll, it's not a, it's not a big leap. So you know, folks will still recognize who we are. And we've been playing with a, a wonderful drummer uh, by the name of Bob Kirby, who comes from you know a, a, a very different sort of music tradition. Um, he's definitely interested, more interested in like prog rock. He's a very technically accomplished player, oh. um, but he has a great ear and a great feel. And, and it's, it's sort of thrilling because like a lot of the songs that we 
play in our repertoire, we introduced to him. He, there were songs he didn't realize, and you know his feedback has been it's it sort of expanded his horizons. So we haven't been able to play that much since the pandemic, but um, a week ago, this past Saturday, um, the four of us got together. We had a gig out at Harvey's Lake, which is north of uh, Wilkes-Barre, um, and uh, it was great. I mean, we played together, all four of us played together once last year, but this was only the second time since the lockdown um, from COVID-19 that we got together. And it was, it, it was, it really, it really clicked. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, we're kind of running out on our radio time, so we have a few songs of yours. Uh, the first one I want to play is Camp Street. Tell me about it. Well, Camp Street, um, I lived on Camp Street when I was in New Orleans, and that sort of camp was one of the main arteries in the past in New Orleans until Magazine Street, which ran parallel to it one block over, sort of took it as, took as the main path. So it's a wider boulevard street, and there are a lot of lovely old homes on it. So, you know, I thought that was a great, I mean, that, that, that sort of location meant a lot to me because I would walk to Tipitina's. I'd walk to Domelisi's to get pool boys. I'd walk to the Butterfly to sit by the river. Um, so, uh, you know, I wrote that song sort of reminiscent. I recorded it on my album, Waves, as a funk song. But then when I wanted to do my acoustic project, um, Flair, um, I wanted to reinterpret it. Like when I did it as a funk tune on the album, but I wanted to give it more of an uptown New Orleans beat. And the drummer who plays on it, AJ Jump, is very uh, accomplished with New Orleans-style music you'll be able to hear from the track. With all that said, this is Camp Street by Joe Segan. Let's meet at the bar I wanna be there 
That was Camp Street by Joe Zegan. Um, so you were just talking about flair. Uh, uh, why he called it flair? Well, you know, I, I had this sort of pipe dream of uh, doing a, a, a live all acoustic recording session. And, uh, and it seemed like a pipe dream, but I mentioned it to my producer, Brett Alexander, and he said, oh, yeah, we can do that. No problem. We'll do that at Paul's uh, at eight days a week. Uh, and I recommend anyone, if they're, if they're looking for a studio, uh, Paul does incredible work there. It's a lovely studio. It's, and, and that session worked out well. And, you know, Brett um, produced the session and, and Paul engineered the session. And, uh, you know, we, we had uh, Nike Van Wick from Craig Thatcher's band playing fiddle, John Ventry from Clarence Spady's band, uh, AJ Jump, who's played with everybody and is the proprietor of one of the most heralded music clubs in uh, 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 up in Wilkes-Barre uh, that get, brings in all kinds of great acts. Huh. Uh, it's, it, it, it's not like a bar or anything. It's, it's just a, a music hall, but you know, AJ brings in some wonderful stuff. And Brett uh, played mandolin on it. And the mandolin that you heard is uh, my dad's, a 1914 Gibson mandolin. So it had a lot of, a lot of personal connection. But you know, I was driving up to, heading up north for a gig and I got stuck in Am Anvil at a, a light, and I looked up, and there was an RV, and it had uh, a tire cover on the spare tire that had a picture of a Pomeranian, and the Pomeranian looked so damn happy, and the scene just seemed so surreal. I had to take a picture of it, and I used it as as the cover art for the EP <laughs> Flare. Now, I did, I did alter, digitally alter the license plate. So right, I, was not, I was not, you know, tr trying to disclose personal identification information. Um, but uh, it's sort of nice. I'm a big fan of sort of found art, and I view that as found art. You know, like mm -hmm. my, my work with uh, Joe Tulsa, JT and the Blue Mountain Stone, I used to love working with Joe um, because he would take on sort of grandiose projects. He was, oh, somewhere in Eastern Europe. And there was a religious ceremony going on in the square below, and 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 it was the service was in another language, but he, he it just inspired him so much. He thought it was so beautiful that he he uh, stuck his iPhone out the window and did a you know an audio recording with his iPhone, and then he took it back to his studio, and the main melody line he developed into a new song. And uh, he, w you know, we played that song, but he took the, the found art, this other recording of this religious piece that he has no idea what it was and had it integrate into the, the, oh. the recording. So it was, it was really nice, uh, you know, to, 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 to be inspired by found art. It's, it's incredible. There, uh, there was a, a rap piece done, I, I think, but uh, what they did is that they sampled the audio from the Golden Gate Bridge. If you didn't know, did you know that? Um, that I think I've heard this story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the Golden Gate Bridge was engineered in such a way that, or, or I can't remember if it was engineered or it just happened to be so. Uh, but whenever it gets really, really windy, as it does, and and there, uh, it creates a very eerie noise, uh, unsettling noise when it goes through like the. Uh, the bars of the fence or, or whatever it's called, but it's so loud that you're going to hear it from uh, the shores. Of, and he, so he recorded it and he incorporated it into a song. I'll have to 
find that because I know it's a true story. Uh, I saw it on, on a Jeopardy thing. <laughs> but I thought, that wow, that's so cool that you could just sample stuff and, and pl- plug it in. I should have, what, what I should have done, I went to St. Louis and uh, uh, the noises that it makes in the arch. Yeah. It's wild. Huh. And it, have, you, have you ever been to St. Louis? I have not. Oh, that, I'd recommend it. It's, uh, so so they had like the original elevators in place, and it's it's this wild contraption because it's not like an escalator where you just it's like a train, but it's, since it's like going a, up a curve, like a funicular sort of. Uh, I don't know what that means. Okay, <laughs> but um, it, it's it, it's a it's a train, but every time it goes up, you know the angle changes, mm-hmm. so it it will automatically change with it. Oh, okay, yeah. But it's really piston like, so it's like. And yeah, you, like, you slowly go. Air, yeah, and you can slowly, yeah, yeah, and it's you're like this barrel, like legitimately barrel sized, uh, like like uh, a six foot barrel because I could barely stand up in it, huh. um, or maybe like a five foot, I guess if that's the case. But uh, yeah, it's it, the, the noises were really incredible. That I I should have recorded, but I maybe maybe it was because you weren't allowed to use your phones, which would make sense. I mean, so many artists, I've heard this over and over again, and I find this to be true, that if you want to create, you got to be a good listener. Yeah. And you got to be receptive to what goes on around you and reflect that back on people. Yeah, that, that's that's very true. I know so many uh, rappers that, uh, up in New York City that use uh, samples from just street lights, or they go to the docks and, re- and record some of the horns that they hear, yeah. or... The, the the clanks of whatever happens over yeah. in the docks and they use that in the recordings and it's like or they make beats out of it even and I'm like how do you even how do you even go out and be like all right I want to record this thing this donk or this clonk and turn that into like a, a like a hip hop beat yeah how do you do that how do you even create the mindset to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be like I'm gonna make a beat bot, uh, a hip hop beat out of this uh, out of the the clink clonks of a ship Against the dock. <laughs> it's incredible to me. Well, life is musical. Yeah. Um, we have uh, another one of your songs, Good Times Never Seem to Last. Good Times Never Last. Yeah, this is a song. Uh, this is the first one that uh, I wrote with Brett Alexander, the producer I've been working with, the first time we collaborated on a tune. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was very interesting. Um, I had a progression and a melody and some words that I've been trying to develop into a song. And uh, I had those kicking around for a number of years and I brought it to the session and Brett had a tune he was working on and the imagery sort of matched. Mm. And we sort of, we sort of like rewrote his lyrics and made some changes to the, the tune. And uh, we were very happy with the result. And uh, you know, we, uh, Brett hired AJ Jump who played on the flare sessions uh, to come in and lay down the drums, and Brett and I played all the other instruments. And I think on this one, I might be playing four guitars. Let me see. I think my ES335's on it, a Telecaster, and my Oracle guitar. I bought, you know, a number of our our mutual friends um, play Oracle guitars from Todd Johnst- Johnston. Todd Johnston oh, yeah, over Todd, in Harrisburg. Yes, that's right. And Todd's going to be displaying some of his work at uh, at Roots and Blues next weekend. So you know, definitely check it. Todd is. He makes wonderful guitars, and uh, I, I cherish the one uh, that I have. And the worst thing about it is now I just want more. <laughs> I want another. <laughs> it's always it's always the uh, stereotype, isn't it? It's like, honey, I gotta go get a new guitar. 
Well, how many guitars does a guitar player need? Always All of them. just one more. Just, just one more. more. Exactly. <laughs> just one more. All right, well, with all that said, this is Good Times Never Last. I've never seen Good it. Times Never Last. By Joe Segan. These quiet streets and vacant stores. Nobody come around here no more. Used to be a band in every bar. No fights, no derelicts, no cover charge. An empty bottle and a broken glass. Why do the good times never seem to last? They say a heart is big as a fist. Mine's full of love for everyone I miss. The beat binds us all through the years. We dance together through laughs and tears. Everything changes, all things must pass. Why do the good times never seem to last? The bars all closed and the fans tore down. The crowds are gone in my hometown. They grab their coats and fumble for their keys. Where do you go when all the amateurs leave? I got a pawn shop amp and a telecaster. Enough for my own happy ever after. A sweet melody in a three minute song. You could sing or maybe hum along. Take my hand, our time is fading fast. Why do the good times never seem to last? Good Times Never Last by Joe Segan. Uh, where can people find you? Well, you can f- f- Google me. You'll find me. Oh, really? I, 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 JoeSegan.com is my website. Um, any, you know, you could search my name on Apple Music, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, YouTube. My, my music's up there, too. And uh, on my website, I don't have that. I have to upload um, that single that you just heard. But my album and my EP are available for free. You could download them or stream them directly from my website. That's awesome. Uh, what are some upcoming upcoming gigs for you? Mm, upcoming gigs for me. 
and see. They all sort of blend together. That's, uh, that's well, right. tomorrow um, I'm going to be playing with uh, Matt Wanger um, uh, at, at Springgate Arcona. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I always enjoy playing with Matt. I first met Matt. He runs a, a number of jams in the area, and he plays with Jeff Bragg a lot. I'm a big fan of Jeff's playing also. But he, I went to uh, Matt's Americana jams down at Phantom Power and, and, and in the city of Tellus and met a bunch of gr- really nice fellas. And, you know, I love going down there for an afternoon, having some laughs, drinking a couple beers, picking some tunes, uh, and Matt is a, has a real knack for, you know, keeping it friendly, keeping it light and keeping everyone engaged. So, uh, and I always like playing with him cause he has great taste. He has, mm. uh, his, he has an excellent rep- repertoire. He's turned me on to some songs that were not in my repertoire that I've, uh, that, that I've learned since and that, uh, I really enjoy. So, yeah. That's that's one thing I keep I keep getting I keep getting a bunch of repertoire to listen to every time if someone comes on it's like you haven't heard of this person it's like no I, I haven't I'm only it's funny people expect me to know a lot of, a lot of music like all the names that you use the only one that I really recognized was Fat Domino Fat Domino Fat Domino yeah that's the that only one great. that like recognized so I'm gonna have to uh, tune into all these other uh, all those other people's because well you know um. Bobby Charles used to write for Fats, and he's one of my favorite songwriters. You know, Bjorn covers Bobby Charles, big Bobby Charles fan. Yeah, I, I, um, Bobby Charles is, uh, I'd, I'd recommend you check, checking him out. He was, uh, he was an incredible songwriter. Bobby Charles, I will. Um, but <clears throat> going back to events, I'm sure you can find all those on your website too. Yeah, you right? can find, yeah, uh, and, and I post on Facebook, you know, follow me and, 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 and share. Uh, I mean, I've been playing, I have gigs back home in Northeast Pennsylvania once a month with my band, The Benders. Um, we'll be back at Harvey's Lake on the 23rd out on Danny's deck. And I'm doing some gigs with Brett Alexander uh, of the Badleys in July and August. I mean, I used to play with Brett gig with him doing duos before I started recording with him and uh, I love his repertoire I mean I'm a big Badleys fan and you know to uh, learning those those songs and playing them uh, with the creator is thrilling right you know it's really wild you know like and and songs that you know Brett wrote that you know charted and it was uh, is delightful and you know um, we've been playing at Springgate his daughter uh, is also a music educator um harlow wonderful person um she works she uh works in mechanicsburg so so brett does gig down here and he, he told me he's like yeah, yeah, yeah i'll come down and do gigs with you just because it gives me a uh you know a chance to to see my daughter so we're going to be playing at uh you know the, the springgate brewery uh sunday the 24th with brett and it's it's always fun because you know we generally get a decent number of badleys fans and they get excited when we do the badleys music yeah. Um, and as as I do, too. And, and plus, you know, Bet, Brett has incredible uh, taste. We do a lot of Van Morrison. I mean, Brett, when he was in the Badleys, toured with Van Morrison. Badleys were a supporting mm. act. Well, yeah, I mean, he's toured with Almonds, Bob Seger, a lot of, a lot of other Bob acts. Seger. Yeah, yeah, that was the last one. I think the last tour that the Badleys went out on, they did a leg with Bob Seger opening for Bob Seger. Huh. So that was maybe about eight, nine years ago, maybe. Oh, wow. But um, the Badleys are active again. Um, they're recording a new album. Um, uh, they're recording it at Paul Smith's studio eight days a week. And uh, they, have a, they have a bunch of gigs. I mean, I saw them at the Englewood. Um, they had two sold-out nights in, back in February. 
uh, and that was that was delightful, especially not having to drive because the the other reunion gig last summer was up in Pittston, and I mm. drive two and a half hours to see that one. But it was worth it. Worth it. Sure. It was it, it, the sunburn that was worth it too. Oh wow. <laughs> Oh my goodness, uh, sunburn. I'm still dealing with sunburn. That I like you can if I raised my arm up, you would see a, a, a streak of white around red. And oh my I'm goodness, yeah. <laughs> well, but I but this is over a year old at this point. Like I got oh my God. third, like second degree or oh. uh, the most de- degree sunburn you could ever get, and it's still you can still because what I did, I went. Uh, and all like, uh, but I didn't like rub it in. Yeah. So there's a clear path you can see. Oh. <laughs> so it's like the worst kind of sunburn you get. Yeah. I, I, I pretty much got it tattooed on me. <laughs> 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 um, and a week worth of pain and not being able to wear a shirt at all. Oh uh, my god. Yeah, but whatever. Yeah. Um, we're gonna end off on the radio. So if you wanna, if you wanna check out more of our conversation, uh, you can come over to facebook.com forward slash this forward slash the story Corey Rosen that's C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N and you can uh, like and subscribe there you can also search the story Corey Rosen on all streaming platforms to catch up to date with with all of my past episodes and but if you want to see future guests be sure to head over to Instagram and uh, Facebook to that's because that's where I post those things uh, with all that said we're going to let you guys get back to the radio